Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Dope Black Woman podcast, the podcast where we share stories of black excellence as part of our safe digital sisterhood. I'm Leanne Levos. I'm Roshan, but you can call me Shan. I'm Lives. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We have another episode with you. And, uh, you know, I'm very invested in politics. I'm a political scientist. And so this week I'm speaking with Marcia de Cordova, who is the Secretary of State for Gender and Equalities. Welcome, Marcia. Thank you for coming on. Oh, Leanne, it's an absolute pleasure to to be with you. I should say, not quite Secretary of State yet, Shadow Secretary of State, but hopefully soon to be. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. Agree totally. (laughs) As we continue to manifest this truth (laughs) in waiting. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I agree. It was really important to me to get a chance to speak to... um, a woman politician and a black woman politician. Uh, I'm not a politician myself, but I'm very invested in politics. And one of the things that I've been doing is speaking to politicians from across the diaspora. So thank you for joining me. I'm really happy that you were able to make the time. No, I'm really ple- pleased to be having our having our chat. So, so thanks for extending an invitation uh, to me. Um, so in answer to, to your first question, which covers kind of a few different areas and um, what I should probably say from the outset is I didn't really grow up saying I wanted to be a, a member of parliament or I wanted to be a politician um, but I always knew my purpose in life um, has always been wanting to make a difference and to be a voice for the voiceless so my career before going into politics that's exactly what I strive to do so I, I spent much of my time prior to parliament working um, and leading disability rights campaigns and influencing and, you know, trying to help shape policies to improve the lives and the rights and equality for disabled people. And that kind of stemmed from my own personal and lived experience um, as a woman who has a visual impairment. I have nystagmus, which is an involuntary movement of the eye, which causes me to be registered um, as severely sight impaired. So, you know, I always um, wanted to champion the rights of people like myself and trying to give them a voice. So that's always kind of been been my mantra. But as we all know, to really bring about positive change to the lives of people, you sometimes have to be part of that process. Mm -hmm. You have to be part of that politics. You have to be 
part of those decision making structures. So my first foray into politics was um, at a local level. Um, I'm not sure what the equivalent would, would be for yourself. So, but I stood as um, for as a local councillor um, in what's called in the London Borough of Lambeth, and um, so I was a councillor um, for a few years. And you know, you really got to see the difference you could make on a local level. You know, really at the grassroots. You know, whether it was dealing with people's um, issues around housing or you know um, refuse collection, but you know, even the state of our roads and our green spaces. You know being that voice but but also for me was looking at how we make those spaces and our built environments more inclusive um, as well so I did that for a few years and I was enjoying it and I also maintained my full-time job as well because you don't get remunerated um, in the same way so I still had, had to work um, and then in 2017 the then Prime Minister Theresa May called a snap general election and I thought hey I'll throw my hat in the ring um, and I stood in the seat of Battersea and at the time the seat was held by a Conservative MP and was pretty considered to be a fairly safe Conservative seat. So, you know, people seeing me stood here was like, well, she'll never win. Um, but clearly God and others had a different <laughs> idea because uh, we ran the most amazing people powered campaign and it you know, the, the campaign just grew and grew over the period um, of the the election. And yeah, we overturned nearly an 8,000 major majority. Wow. And Battersea became a Labour game and I became elected the Member of Parliament. And I have to say, Leanne, it is an absolute honour and privilege to serve. It, it really is. Um, so going back a little bit uh, to mm. kind of your childhood, uh, yeah. mentioned that you grew up uh, kind of at what point in time did you de uh, develop this awareness of your sight impairment and what mm -hmm. was it like growing up for you as a young black girl with uh not so yeah. visible visible dis di mm. disability because it's not yeah. something that is very obvious or visually you know apparent no no it's not it's not that apparent but, but because my eyes do wobble around the place and I do call it it my wobble because they move left to right right to left and up and down um and I won't mention any of the names I used to be called but you can imagine um but it only just made me stronger is what I have to say um developing very thick skin um but growing up at home you know my mum was a single parent and I have a lots of uh, I have siblings and my mother and her sisters they kind of all raised us together you know how we do oh, yeah. um, uh, and so you know your cousins were your friends and we were a very close-knit family and so I pretty much was left to grow up in the same way as my cousins and my uh, brothers and sisters. I just was so much more clumsier than them. I would be the one that would fall into things. I would be the one to get bruised and so forth. But again, I just think it, it, it really helped to make me stronger. But um, if I think about a significant touch point in my, in my youth growing up, I remember for my 10th birthday, uh, my cousin Tracy, she... Um, she brought me a book about Nelson Mandela and it was mainly pictures and stuff, but I really got to learn about um, the anti-apartheid movement and what was happening in South Africa. Okay. And, you know, I genuinely believe that was something that really triggered something in, in my inside me because that was so wrong and so unjust. And, um, you know, I remember as, as a family, you know, uh, I, you know my mum especially we would not buy any products that were from South Africa so whether wow. that was sugar or fruit 
you know, it was barred in our home. You just, you certainly um, um, could not do that. And uh, so I was very, uh, you know, aware of those situations and, you know, also watching things on, the, on TV as well, because, you know, back then we got to see a lot of what was going on and, you know, hearing about different um, activists that were killed. And then there was the big free Mandela movement. And so you were so aware of what was, was going on. And for me, I know that really um, was a touch point for me uh, grow, growing up. I mean, I always, you know, used to be very interested in general elections growing up as well. Mm -hmm. I wanted to stay up all night with my mum to watch them. So maybe, you know, something was being stirred back then, even though that wasn't my path. That wasn't right. what I thought was 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 my path. Um, but I probably should, shouldn't say it, so it was all been great because, you know, going to school and things like that were, were, were difficult. Um, and I did experience challenges and I did experience barriers that I had to overcome, you know, at primary school, you know, the head teacher there, um, because of my, my visual impairment, she didn't think that I should be in a mainstream school, that I should be sent to a special institution uh, for other disabled children. But, you know, God bless my mother and I thank her every day for fighting the head and the department for education at the time to keep me in mainstream school because you know I, I'm I, without a shadow of a doubt know that if I was put in a special school I would not be sat here having a lovely conversation Leanne I can right. I can I can attest to that so there were challenges you know and as I grow, grew up you know going through secondary school and to college and to university always having to fight to make sure I had you know things in the right format for me or make sure I had extra time for exams and things like that so it's always been a fight but you know what again what that helped me to do was it gave me the confidence to speak up mm -hmm. and you know not be silent so you know I was always the one that has this isn't right you have to do this you know and I'm very grateful that I had that in me as well because you know not everybody has the confidence to say well you're not doing something right here you should be providing this for me and you're not doing it I was always very bold and confident to ask for that help um, when needed. And I didn't even see it as help. I just seen it as actually, I need to be on the same uh, level and playing field as everybody else. Yeah, this is what you are deserving of just as everyone else. Would. Yeah, absolutely. I should just be treated equally. And that's what I still fight for today. It sounds like your mom was a bit of an activist herself. Like she was quite politically <laughs> aware and uh, that seemed to have rubbed off on you some. I think I think so although you know I think so and I think you know she her her family my mum's Jamaican as well and I think you know her growing up I mean she would tell me about the elections and um, that used to take place back then when she was she was in Jamaica and, and stuff and you know uh, and how her great her grandmother would would be part of it but so that again there might be some thread there that we can yeah. certainly uh, thread through from <laughs> from the generations to, to to myself but absolutely because you know I think with politics um, and with the way that the, the, the structures in the, in the UK is still, we have a class-based system and politics was seen as such an elite elite kind of profession and career for people to transition into. And I'm a very, I'm from, I'm from a very working class background. I didn't grow up with privilege or entitlement. You know, everything I have and hold, I've had to work hard for it. And as you rightly know, Leanne, as black people, we have to always work twice as hard yeah. mm -hmm. in this country to achieve just as much you know they're happy to give us crumbs but you know to get a slice of that pie you really have to yeah. to step up and work harder than everybody else and then with me I had that additional barrier of not being able to see so I had to step it up even more mm -hmm. but you know I believe it you know the the, the, the my mum really instilled that uh, in me 
didn't treat me any differently either. She always told me I had to work hard. She stopped me from going into the kitchen because, you know, I used to have accidents um, in the kitchen. So I was barred <laughs> from the kitchen for a very long time, which was fine. You know, I, you know, I, yeah, that was fine. It's funny when I think back to it, though, because, yeah, I couldn't even make a cup of tea when I was growing up. It was all done for me. But, you know, <laughs> I was going to say, I still it. have accidents in the kitchen. My friends, would <laughs> think that I literally oh, yeah. burn myself every time I go into the kitchen. Yeah. It's not normal if I don't. So. Me too. <laughs> I, I, that's why I have every gadget you can think of to cut, to chop, to slice, to juice. I have it all <laughs> to make my life easier. As you should, as you said, it's about making mm. the environment that you live in more inclusive. I think it's really important to make, to normalize that as opposed to seeing it as the yeah. exception. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. It's just about creating that level playing field, isn't it, Leanne? It's, it's about making sure our spaces are inclusive for everybody. We have rooted ourselves in what's called the social model and a human rights model of disability, where it's not your medical condition, your diagnosis that disables you. It's the societal barriers and challenges in the environment that stop you. So it's having that inaccessible transport network that disables me from traveling um, in the same way as my colleagues can. And that's the way to look at disability. Yeah. That's a really powerful way to look at it, actually, that, as you said, not that it's the, it's the physical that disables you, it's mm. the lack of accommodation within the society. Yeah. That's a really interesting that's way to look at yeah. it. Yeah, that's the way to look at it. That's how, you know, disabled people want to be to be viewed because it's not us. If, if, if everything was a level playing field, then actually we would have equal opportunity and we would be in the, we'd achieve equality and be able to participate equally. So knowing, I mean, obviously you've dealt with the issue of intersectionality prior to becoming a politician, but when you mm. became a politician or when you transitioned into mm. throwing your hat in the ring, as it were, mm. was that something that you kind of, already anticipated prior to going in and what was your experience once you were you know in the ring as it were um i so prior to obviously be, be, becoming a member of parliament um my biggest challenge for me my career throughout my education career etc has always really been my my sight that's been the biggest hindrance you know um whether it's the labor, you know, tackling the labor market and the challenges in that environment and so forth, and you know, starting a charity and all of those things. It's always been my my visual impairment, my sight. And um, but going into politics, you really your race really then also became a factor. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not something that I I suppose I could only fight one battle, and that was the battle I was prepared to fight and win right. around my disability. Um, but but being a politician, you really see the, the difference um, in, in relation to your race. And so looking at it from an intersectional perspective as a woman, as a black woman, as a, you know, a disabled black woman uh, as well, um, you really get to see the different layers of um, oppression or the different layers of challenges that I have to overcome um, and, and respond and deal with. But I suppose for me, um, I, I always say, Leanna, because I try and always take the positives from things, mm -hmm. even when there isn't. I always try and see the positives through. And, you know, okay, I have to face this challenge or this barrier, but I will face it, overcome it, 
in the hope that anybody that comes behind me shouldn't have to face it yeah you know they will have a smoother path and I do think this in the sense you know when I look at Diane Abbott who was the first black woman to be elected to parliament she probably had to face much greater yeah. prejudices um but you know she broke down that door that that you know she cracked that ceiling wide open for yeah. people like myself to now come through and not have to endure the same levels of oppression that she did so you know that's how we have to do it and it's unfortunate that we are still in a space where we are still having to break down these barriers but you know what this we are here for this time and this moment so we have to do it you know I think of you know if we think about Vice President um, Harris in the states right she's broken that glass ceiling not just for women but for black women yeah yeah (laughs) and she's gonna she'll she will use her space you know, that she's in to break those barriers and, and deal with the different challenges that will come her way so that she will not be the first. Yeah. She, and- so she, so she will be the first, but she won't be the last. <laughs> it, I was just about to say, you know, I think, I think one of the things that we've seen globally is the mm. lack of representation of black women in oh, yeah. politics, regardless of whether mm. it's a black, uh, predominantly black country or not. Mm. In the UK, mm. there are, very few black female politicians yeah. mm. uh, in the states obviously the same scenario mm. I think in jamaica we've had one woman prime minister wow so, yeah so i think mm. as a one of the things that many of many of the women politicians that have spoken to mm-hmm. have said, and this is something that is really important in the context of dope black women is the mm. idea that you know there's this stereotype that black women can't get along and that women in general don't necessarily mm. um, will not fight for each other. That you know, once you mm. get into a certain space, you try to hold mm. on to that space for as long as you can, mm. because you know there are others that are kind of clawing at your feet to to get into the same space. Mm. What's been your experience in terms of being able to work with other Black women, as few as they are within the UK, um, within politics? not even necessarily other members of parliament, but just other black women that are invested in the political arena? Um, I totally hear, that's a really good question. And it's, you're absolutely right. Globally, you know, representation of of black women in politics is is minimum, but you know, we have come, we're greatly advanced from where we were, Mm -hmm. um, say 10 years ago, right? And progress isn't good enough and we need to keep pressing. And for me, as a woman, I want to, I do try and encourage more women, uh, particularly black women and disabled women actually, to consider um, standing for public office because it's only when more of us are in this space that we can really affect the real meaningful and lasting change that we want to see. In terms of working with women, you know, look, I am strong into a sisterhood, you know, as black women and, you know, it just as women overall as well. And, you know, I believe as women, we are there to inspire, we are there to encourage, we are there to lift up, we are there to, you know, hold on to, support, encourage our sisters. You understand? Because that's the only way we are all going to get along. You know, so if I see my sister doing a particular initiative, I should be behind her 100% and supporting her. You know, and I expect the same um, from my colleagues as well, because, you know, there's this old way where people try and divide and rule. And yeah. if they can divide you, yeah, they will try to do that. But you've got to be very astute to the forces that will try and come in and um, prevent people from 
forming coalitions and groups, you know. And I, again, I look at how the Congressional Black Caucus has operated in 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 the, in Congress in the U.S. And yeah. you know, I'm sure they are, they are from a broad political spectrum within the Democratic Party. But one thing that unites them is they are black, and they they all want some of the same things. Yeah. And I think it's it's the same. How I would like to see us approach um, politics in the U.K., particularly. Really, uh, for black women, for black politicians overall, um, is to have that kind of caucus, that kind of group that comes together. We are going to obviously campaign and push for for change on certain issues, but also be there to to fight the good fight together. You know, in the UK, we've had this rotten report back that the, an independent yeah, report no, that the government has very commissioned. Very well aware of it. <laughs> oh, it is a rotten, shoddy, shoddy, poor. I mean, you are you are an academic, and you you would throw it in the bin. You know, it's that yeah, poor it's, in terms of um, it's it, it's literature, but uh, but that report is really bad. And so, in Parliament, we had a statement that the minister who was sponsoring this piece of work, a black woman, uh, was sponsoring this piece of work, stood up and defended it. I responded I in the best way I can, but I was absolutely robust in saying denying that that port was anything but you know a positive action for for black and ethnic minority people in this country because the report basically downplays the role of institutional yeah. and structural racism the report has misused so much data whether it's around health inequalities and the risk factors around covid whether it's around black maternal health or school exclusions it was yeah. it's in education every aspect of society this report is flawed. Now, as black people, as black politicians, particularly if you're from, you know, um, my side of the, of, of the aisle, so to speak, we have we are very united in calling on the government a to reject that report, but b get on with implementing some of the recommendations that have already been done or rec or suggested in previous reports around racial justice. Yeah, racial justice is if that's the one thing that unites us, it, you know, it, it, it does well, most of us. Yeah. It should be that. But there are some that don't share that view. And, you know, and sadly, that particular minister didn't share um, our, 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 my view um, or the view of, of most of society um, and most leading experts and thinkers on the issue. Um, and that's that's their choice. Um, but ultimately, I'm here to be that voice. Again, it goes back to that system in support of how we support our sisters and I'm very grateful that I have the support of some of my good friends and colleagues yeah. in this fight that's amazing and it, I yeah I, I definitely agree with you that there should be some sorts of consensus that binds black women together within politics regardless mm. of what side of the fence mm. that you're sitting on um, and it's unfortunate yeah. that um, you know there isn't that level of solidarity that would create Maybe a mm. conversation that would have found a, a mm. meeting of the minds, as it were, yeah. middle ground. Mm. Um, and you know, yeah. for the UN to come out and and actually trash the report and say exactly. that it's wholly unacceptable, I think, is a clear cut mm. sign <laughs> that mm. um, yeah that they need to rethink this, and hopefully they will. Hopefully yeah, they will as well, Leanne. I think I think I think they can only but rethink it because. As you rightly point out, you know, when the UN came out with their statement on Tuesday, it's just, you know, <laughs> I mean, you really have to to step back here and say, okay, everybody now, the only people that are now 
wanting to push the report is that minister and and the chair of the commission right you know so so and maybe the commissioners themselves who knows but I think the bottom line here is we have made great advances this one report that the government think you know is is, is a piece of work will undo all Everything. of the progress made on racial justice in this country it is dangerous and we have to fight it tooth and now and that's what I've been doing because we cannot cannot allow it to undo all the good work it's dangerous and you, you look at it in the context of black lives matter mm-hmm. yeah this week has been a real major week I believe in global politics and global racial politics we've had you know George the, the verdict with George Floyd and I don't know about you but I was absolutely when I you know you're thinking you know god you know what's going to happen because let's face it in the United States there have been a lot of injustices yeah. in, in similar circumstances so it was the absolute right verdict right the individual was found guilty on three counts three counts and that's absolutely right okay it is Stephen Lawrence day it's you know but yet, in the middle of all of that, we have a government that is set on building a, a what you know, I hate the term cultural, but that's what they're trying to do mm-hmm. in dividing communities. And, you know, this isn't a game. This is yeah. real life and this is lived reality and experience and it's dangerous and they need to stop. Well, I think one of the things, and it's, again, I really like making the, the comparisons between the diaspora because I think there is this, <laughs> assumption that what's happening in the US now is so much worse than what's happening in the Mm. UK. But when you do look at the accurate statistics, actually the rate at which black men are are incarcerated is disproportionate and much higher, the rate is much higher in the UK than it is in the US. Mm. Um, You know, the fact that the maternal health issue of black women and black mothers dying as as a society in the UK that we're that much further along or that institutional racism isn't as impactful as it is in the UK Mm -hmm. simply because there are less of us present you know just in Mm -hmm. terms of the population is something that we need to kind of disrupt or remove that idea that actually what is happening in the US is actually happening Mm -hmm. in a different way in manifesting itself in a different way but equally as Mm -hmm. problematic when you brought up um Baroness Lawrence, actually, one of the things that I think about when I think about her is, you know, when you are an activist, and I think many activists across the world have said this or advocates, uh, Mm -hmm. and I remember hearing Angela Davis say this, is that over time, Mm -hmm. your, your role as an activist or an advocate has to shift because this the idea of burnout is very real. Mm. And so many activists transition from Mm. being in courts and protesting to Mm writing or becoming lecturer mm-hmm. and their advocacy advocacy continues but in a different form mm-hmm. um, as a black woman politician you know i'm sure the capacity for burnout is very real you know dan mm-hmm. has spoken at great length mm-hmm. about the kind of um kind of vitriol that's spewed at her on a regular mm-hmm. basis that i'm sure you've mm-hmm. been a recipient of that as well um mm-hmm. how do you manage that and do you see yourself transitioning as your career goes along um just because of Mm -hmm. that you know do you do you find that you need to transition was that one of the reasons that you transitioned into politics was to create a different lane for yourself that um Mm -hmm. allowed for you to have a different kind of influence Mm -hmm. i i think as you as you rightly point out leanne you know 
our journeys in life will take several different, well, multiple paths um, to, to achieve the same goal about bringing about that real change and making a difference. And the season that I'm in right now, I'm, I'm a politician and I'm here serving in this role and in this capacity. And I will do what I do for as long as I'm required to do it. And, and also for as long as my constituents have got me here, you know, I, I have a plan that I want to continue doing the work that I do, representing and being that voice. And that for me, and then my role it, it, working in, in women and equalities, um, I, that's my priority in terms of really instinctively um, bringing about policies, bringing about that vision that will really set about instinctively changing the landscape for gender and for race and for disabled people that for me that's my space and I, I can do that in this political realm I don't see me transitioning anytime soon out of that because my work here so to speak isn't done um but you know I don't know what God's got planned for me he right. might have a whole other never journey and, and, and he may have a whole other path I, I don't know but you know I think at this precise moment in time my role is really about laying those foundations to building a real you know a, a real platform and space that sets out such a strong vision for for women for for for, for black women um and also black men from from a race perspective but also that real inclusive environment for disabled people and you know that sounds huge i know it does i know it sounds almost impossible but you know we have we know how we get things done it's one step at a time or one yeah. jump at a time and that for me is is really the focus um and the vision at the moment and you mentioned before that, you know, you transitioned into politics because you saw that the impact that you could actually have um, yeah. in a way that was tangible, in a way that, you know, ultimately mm. as politicians, you are policymakers mm. and you are the ones who will, yeah, well, yeah. you know, the ultimate say mm. in making that yeah. tangible change in terms of legislative mm. reform and so on. Um, mm. Are there any drawbacks? Do you miss the world of advocacy at all? Is there, you know, are you, because I know obviously <laughs> there is a certain level of, for me, and this is my yeah. personal um, yeah. on it, there is a certain level of censorship, even in advocacy, even mm. switching from mm. act activism to advocacy. Yeah. That yeah. takes place that can be quite frustrating at times because you do mm. want to scream and shout and say certain things and probably yeah. use expletives that you can't use. <laughs> oh my God, this week, Leanne, I wanted to say so much. <laughs> if I weren't in the chamber is all I could say. <laughs> How I would have dealt with that woman. But but the, but this is one of the constant because, you know, as a politician, you are a public figure, right? So yeah. anything you do say goes on the record. So you, you've got to be very very astute to that and mindful about about the language and the words and the things that you say <laughs> I mean I could say honest honestly I could say I could say but you know you have to be professional and I suppose that is the only kind of um, drawback I would say but I think for me because it's such an honor to serve because I see being a politician as serving you know not it's not just a job it's it very much I, I, I feel so honored to do what I do and I believe, you know, representation really matters in that realm. And so, you know, whilst there are some drawbacks, you know, we work very long hours, 
it is yeah. it, you know and you were you were and you know don't don't care what anyone says and I'm sure it's the same for politicians in Jamaica you do work seven days a week you know yeah you, you, you very rarely get that opportunity to absolutely switch off unless you travel uh and and so forth so and so this past year with COVID it has been really really heavy and uh, heavy going um you know I do I'd like to see I mean you work long hours so if you're a parent if you're a woman as you know it would be slightly more challenging with issues around chat having children and families and all the rest of it so there so there are those those kind of challenges but but you know us as women you know if you want something done give it to a busy woman right if you want if you want to get things done it's always we make it work that's how we that's how we're built but I think the key really for, for me, and is what I would say to any woman in any form of leadership role, yourself, Leanne, or anybody, is to make sure we find balance mm. because we can't do everything. There's yeah. got to be a point where you say, okay, no, you know, understanding the power of a positive no, when you say no, because you are saying yes to having free time to do X. Do you understand? That's so important. You that know, actually and I remember- gives me goosebumps because I was just saying to someone yesterday that actually saying no sometimes is the mm. most difficult thing for me mm. because, yeah. you know, you want to keep helping and you want to keep yeah. doing and you see something yeah. else pops up that you could see that has real tangible potential to change mm. things and you want to take it on, but you just don't have the capacity. Exactly. Um, yeah. But it's recognizing it, Leanne, you see. You know, because I, you know, I always want to say yes to helping people to doing things, but it's it's sometimes recognizing actually you just can't do it. You just can't, yeah. you know. And if you do that, you're then taking time away from having you time. Yeah. It's very important as women. I don't know about you, but you know, for me, I like my little time where I can go yeah. and do my nails and do my hair and chill out and just, you know, have a little glass of something and just be me. Yeah. Absolutely. And we don't get that, but you know, it's finding those moments to make sure that we do have that level and degree of balance in our in our lives and in our careers. Because otherwise, that's where burnout, as you rightly point out, will set in. Otherwise, you sound you will get despondent or you'll get uninspired. You know, we need to wake up every morning thinking, you know, I'm here for a reason and I'm going to go out and see that day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about kind of embracing the diaspora, making the comparisons. And, Mm. you know, one of the things that I've been able to recognize in my personal career is in terms of doing dope black women, actually, because we do have dope black women from all over the world. Yeah, I see on your Instagram. And yeah, and so and in our WhatsApp group, you know, we have black women that are living in Turkey. We have black women in the Caribbean. We have black women in the US. We have black women in Australia. And yeah. though we all have variously or kind of various different experiences, mm-hmm. there is a kind of a unifying thread of experiences that we have, mm. whether it's uh, autonomy over our own bodies, whether it's misogyny and sexual assault mm. and violence, whether it's the gender pay gap. Um, yeah. You know, there are certain issues that are very universal. And, you know, mm. you talk about you, you interestingly enough interjected this idea of divide and conquer. And, you know, the very, mm. the very reason that we are spread so broadly across the world is because of divide and conquer. I, every, That's right. Everything goes back to slavery and colonialism. For me. I'm telling you, it does. So yeah. it's, the, it's the truth. It's the I system. would not, my, my parents, you know, my parents, my mother, you know, 
she was born in Jamaica because her ancestors were taken from Africa and brought to Jamaica to work on plantations. Mm-hmm. That's just a fact. Yeah. Harsh. It hurts, you know, but it's a fact. Yeah. I'm a descendant of slaves. Sadly, yeah. you yeah. know, um, it, it's, it's a fact, you know, and, and people need to recognize it. And that's why I'm so, I'm so um, determined that, you know, our curriculum in the UK fully recognizes yes. um, colonialism, the empire and, and the transatlantic slave trade and the impact that it has had because that kind of denial within the curriculum is just is frankly unacceptable you know what's it, it really so crazy is. about that is that it growing up in jamaica that's literally our that was formed the the majority of our history lesson yeah so it's interesting that the colonizing country does not talk about or discuss that within the context even yeah. even if it was from a point of pride which it shouldn't be yeah but even from a point of you know uh kind of puffing up its chest it's interesting Mm. that that section of history is avoided completely they they choose to avoid it but yet you know which is it is it is interesting but it's also just deeply deeply worrying right Mm. because let's face it you know it was the British that were in in, in mainly in the Caribbean you know well in Jamaica should I can talk about and the the role and the impact that slavery has, has had but to then choose to not want to actually educate everybody on that you know it's a part of who they are and I'm you know I'm pleased to hear that within the curriculum in Jamaica that's what they do because you know Marcus Bobby says it you know a man who doesn't know who he is is like a tree with no roots yeah and that's so powerful and so true you understand and so you know teaching black history it should be part of British history here in the UK yes there's no ifs or no buts about it I mean you would have said I mean sorry to go back to that awful um, commission yeah, on race and ethnic report but you know they actually believe and you know the author of that report is Jamaican I believe so you know God help us there but he he actually wrote there. a foreword that said and apologies if he's not but a foreword that says there is a new story to be told about slavery that is what he said read the when you read the, the new story not about suffering and profit but about basically how we are all assimilated and into how the people that we are today. We benefited from this pro- from this mm. process of dehumanization, which is yeah. mind-boggling. Yeah. I mean, it's a very it's a very strong mm. sentiment in Jamaica. Actually, the last mm. poll that was done maybe five six mm. years ago, over fifty mm. percent of Jamaicans felt that if we were still a colony, we would be doing better off. We would be better off financially. Um, and I wow. think, there's, yeah, and I think, you know, that is, as you pointed out, the very, the very point of divide and conquer is to not mm. have us realize our own power yeah. and our own strength and to realize exactly. that actually the reason that we may not be doing as well as we could be is as a direct mm. result of the 500 years of, of, um, of slave, yeah. enslavement, of torture, of, of you know, Imagine you were treated as not a human being, mm-hmm. but just as chattel. Yeah. And that's, you know, that will take, you know, a very long time to move away from. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about it, slavery hasn't been gone for that long. No, I mean, times. Our, my, my <laughs> grandfather was, my, my, my father actually, who was much older when he had me, was born prior to being independent. He was born in the 1920s when colonialism was still- Was still 
exactly yeah. and and so I just think we have to tell that story because it's part of it's part of who we are it's part mm-hmm. of British history and you know for it not to be taught I mean I, I, it, again you can look at how the United States has, has really operated this and that you know I know they've had a different experience around race and so forth but nonetheless they are have they are having to confront it and respond to it uh, and that's what they and that and I think that's what they they have done and you know, we don't even in the UK have a museum to acknowledge. We don't have the our history. We, we yeah. aren't even at the mm. space of having a real conversation. Mm. With it, and that's true. Mm. Um, and so I'm wondering, you know, are there spaces across the diaspora for us to learn from each other, for us to be able to move forward collectively as a disjointed community? Yeah, but I think there has to be because, well, and if there aren't any that are there, why not create those spaces? Because you've already highlighted there's so much that we have in common, you know, whether it's looking at issues around black maternal health, whether it's around gender pay, or, you know, whether it's around, you know, representation within leadership, right? There are that there are so many spaces that we should we could all learn from each other, but gain strength and build and share our knowledge and our expertise to help each other as well you know I you know I would like to say that you know I should be able to reach out to yourself and we should be able to create a space where we can have those dialogues and those conversations because there's more so much more that really unites us I believe um that you know we've just had COVID right in this country and you Jamaica as well and you know what COVID has certainly done is it's really exposed some of those deep-rooted inequalities um from education to health to you know you name it in the labor market and so forth and women have fared really poorly in those environments you know over the past 12 months whether it's around um you know more women being put on furlough or or more women being made redundant we saw the you know mortality rates for disabled women are so much greater and we know that with black women they were you know twice times more two times more likely to have died from covid and more now likely to be unemployed so We've seen some of the economic um, impacts and the fallout uh, from that. And for those women, you know, potentially that were trying to step out on their own and be entrepreneurs, you know, we've seen how so many of them were excluded from the government support packages that they have in place. So we've seen some of the huge fallouts. And what I'm really hell-bent on is making sure as we emerge from this crisis, um, A, there's an equal recovery for, for, for women, but more importantly, we don't turn back the clock yeah. on so many of the rights that we that have been won and secured over the past 50 years. And I think it's really important to recognize that when you invest in the, in minorities, when you invest in the empowerment of Black women or any other minority for that matter, Black disabled women, mm. when you address those intersectionalities and those nuances, it is ultimately for the betterment of the wider, wider society, economically, socially, Absolutely. culturally. Yeah politically 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 you know it's it's the whole it's it it's it's almost like it's in the round isn't it it's you know you, and we don't even need to silo off or look at just specific areas it really will have a huge human impact and that's how we we should view so many of the issues that we want to fight and challenge yeah I have had such a good time talking to you. It's been an absolute pleasure, Marsha. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know no, all it's... our viewers are going to be really <laughs> excited to hear this episode. So oh, I'm well, I'm so pleased. 
thank you for thank you so much for having me there it's been an absolute pleasure i love what you guys are doing i really hope we can uh, stay in touch uh, going going forward and you know i will say look you know if you're in london make sure we, we look each other up but vice versa if i get to yeah. get to get to jamaica i certainly would love to to see and hear a bit more about the work you're doing as well or just to have a sister sisterly chat and catch up definitely definitely well and roshan is still in the uk fighting great so we're here we're not brilliant um and and we are dope black women and you know don't forget that you know we we really are because we are occupying our spaces and doing it well and that's so important awesome that's amazing thank you So thanks so much for listening to the podcast, everyone. Um, Don't forget to rate and subscribe to wherever you get your podcast from. On Twitter and Facebook, we're Dope Black Woman. And on Instagram, we are Dope Black Woman 1. We'll be back with you next week. Until then, stay blessed and unapologetically black. All the way black. Blackity black. Black casting. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you, Marcia. Thank you. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.